Welcome to the December issue of BBRO Bcast. I'm Francesca Broom, your host and knowledge exchange manager for BBRO. Whilst we might be in the last month of the year, let's turn our minds back to the warm summer and particularly to September, where we were basking in warm sunshine and so was Dr. Alistair Wright while he investigated the issues of Socospora in America, along with other trials and tribulations in what he calls the Disneyland of sugar beet. Thanks very much for giving me your time, Alistair, and joining us for this month's Beatcast. You've not been in the UK for the whole year, have you? And that's what I want to speak to you about, is your trip to America. When was it that you went? Yes, yes. Uh, I went for pretty much all of September. Well, what a holiday you must have had. <laughs> <laughs> Very important study trip, I think you'll find. Oh, study trip, that's what they call them Sorry. nowadays. No, I do know that you work very hard there and they certainly put you through your paces. So tell us a little bit, why did you go to America? Uh, well, the primary reason was for Socospora research. So I spent 10 days or so in Fargo in North Dakota, hosted by Dr. Mohammed Khan, who I'm sure many listeners will have heard speak at our events in the past. And Socospora is a massive issue out in the States. The climate favours it every year pretty much reliably. Now that really surprises me because North Dakota is always very cold winter, isn't it? And I think I heard you say it's about minus seven, minus ten now at sort of the at the end of November. Why is the Cospera a big issue for them? Is does the cold weather kill it? Uh, seemingly not, no. They're they're very hot, humid summers favour it when the beet are in the ground. So uh, clearly, yeah, massive issue can rob a lot of yield. So the spores are obviously being able to overwinter even yeah. in those extreme conditions. Definitely. So uh, yeah. that doesn't bode well for us in the UK, does it? Potentially not. No, it's, it's an unanswered question, really. So something we're going to look at answering in the future. Sort of, what is the fate of Socospora from year to year? And under British conditions, and we need to get to the bottom of where our Socospora's come from in the first place. And that's partly why you were in America, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. So learning how to culture it in the lab, then we can do some testing on it for fungicide uh, tolerance and hopefully prepare some samples for DNA sequencing. Um, how are you going to infect in field to be able to get those some results and some data back? There are two ways I learned. Uh, one is, yes, you can prepare spores on Petri dishes and wash them off, but it's not the most reliable way. Uh, it's better to let nature take its course. So you, you harvest infected leaves, dry them, store them, and then crush them up and spread them on the beet the year after. That sounds horrendous. Yeah, I'm sure UK growers are listening to this and thinking, spread the spores, but that's not quite the issue, is it? They don't particularly get spread in the air. It's more... Yeah, and these spores will obviously be on bits of decaying leaf and mixed with talc so they won't go very far at all yeah and we've had quite good experience with managing trials of this nature in the way of virus yellows haven't we yeah i would hope if we can stop uh, aphids migrating from plot to plot uh Socospora should be easy but that could be famous last words <laughs> don't worry we won't hold you to <laughs> so tell us a little bit about north dakota and the type of work you were doing yes so north dakota is sort of the the global hub of sugar beet production i would say like it was like disneyland for me so <laughs> the things i got to see and the, just the sheer scale of production is, is astounding sheer scale as to how many acres or the number of factories the area they cover how important it is in there rotations yeah and the time scales everything's done in drillings done in a very short window in may usually and then harvest had just started when i was over there it should have been well underway but they had to delay drilling so they they put harvest back and that's usually complete in less than two weeks you went in september so we were talking about six to eight months as a season for them no shorter than that probably june 
June, July, August, four months. Four months. Very short. So what size of the beet? Oh, it's the same size as ours, I'd say. Yields are similar. Uh, I'm not sure if the sugar percentage is as high. It's difficult trying to convert from short tons per acre or bushels or to tons per hectare. But yeah, clearly it, it makes sense to them to grow the crop. I think there are nine or seven factories in the Red River Valley. So. And are they under one processor? No, there's three processors there. In terms of the amount of sugar, 55% of US sugar comes from beets and half of that comes out of the Red River Valley. So it's it's very much concentrated in a small area. No wonder you were in your element. <laughs> so what did they have you doing? Um, so the first day or first couple of days I was out with the field team, Mohammed's technician Peter, and he got to show me sort of the sites and fields and uh, point out where the factories are as we drive up to one of the northern field sites. And I got to see some root maggot damage there whilst he did some spraying of some uh, Socospora plots. And that's not a problem we have, thankfully, here is root maggot. It produced some of the ugliest sugar beet I've ever had the fortune to see. You think nematode damage is bad, maggot actually sort of scrapes away the growing taproot, so kills it off entirely and then you get these really fanged spiky horrible looking roots that are very small so that was interesting and that's um, a widespread issue for them it is in that part of america yeah but important that they keep looking at varieties and other control methods and i believe they had you spraying didn't they uh, the day after i helped spray Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously I don't have any tickets to spray in the States if you even need them but uh, <laughs> I was helping ferry uh, the different chemicals that have been diluted down uh, to the trials tractor that's only 44 inches wide it's tiny but uh, we must have put on 40 or so different treatments across the Socospora site and that's so this is all um, different fungicides different, different mixes, mixes different ratios some actives that we'll never see in this part of the world again such so when you say again, tin. I take it it means that the things that we have used in the past and wouldn't... Yeah, some here. chemicals that are no longer registered in Europe, but clearly did mean no harm. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, the American take on uh, risk and hazards is, is obviously very different to the European. It's even boiled down to different requirements for PPE. Fascinating to see the process and how quickly they can get through and uniformly spray these plots. But you were surprised about... Just, the you, way that they handle things there? Yes. Yeah, definitely. And even down to how the tear houses are run at the factories, because it's such a short period of time, it's all done by by human arms still moving samples around, whereas we're used to the robots and the, the controlled processes behind the, the screens at Whissington. So it's, it's just a different way of achieving the same end result, really. And you said about testing you know, 40 different types of mixes and additives and so forth. In the USA, they do use an awful lot more chemicals than we do, and sort of fungicide sprays for Socospora. With it, with new products, we would be using probably about one spray fungicide for Socospora at the moment. What do you think of the number of sprays that they'll be using in the USA? Six or seven. Right. Is so, it the same active, or do they? No, there's that? a mixture of different actives that they're rotating through that, but they will be used more than once which isn't the best thing for resistance management, but the disease pressure is so high. And, and I saw in a week how one site can go from nice green leaves with a few spots on to pretty much stripped back completely. And, and I suppose that's the heat and humidity. in. It just favours the conditions that the disease likes to prosper in, really. That was quite something to see. And I hope we never get to a stage where Socospora is that bad regularly in the UK. But then they don't have any issues with the other diseases that we have. So they don't have powdery mildew and rust. Not in 
the Red River Valley anyway. So it is just a cost per And it is more like, I suppose the analogy is potato blight, where you need to just keep regularly spraying to, to try and keep it under control. So with all the varieties that you saw being grown or the, the seed being prepared, was there anything that stood out for you? Um, so they're widely using CR Plus varieties now uh, in the Red River Valley. So what's the CR Plus? That's uh, so a cospro resistant variety. Um, so it's genetic that KWS have developed and are using widely now in the States as well as on the continent here in Europe. Um, and I believe we're getting some sort of coming through early testing here in the UK. It'll be interesting to see how they perform. They have sort of enhanced cospro resistance, which I suppose before 2020 we didn't really think we were going to need but perhaps we will now. So hopefully our future research will look at how these can be used in the UK against our strains. And as part of that, we are hopefully gonna have a network of 10 spore traps next year set up around the growing area. So I'm in negotiations with the Canadian company that developed them. So at least we'll be able to get some early data on when they've appeared. And they will be acting a bit like a suction trap and bringing spores in to test? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. yeah. So they're, they're fairly passive, but they have a little fan on them that's solar powered. Just to, it's on a still day, you're still drawing air through the, the trap and the cartridge that catches the spores will be changed once or twice a week. Um, and we can hopefully then have a test in the lab to detect any Cercospora. Maybe going forward we can add in rust and mildew, but clearly we know a lot more about those diseases and how ubiquitous they are. And you're hoping to bring this into practice this year? I hope in 23, yeah. yeah. So um, it'll definitely be a, a trial um, and the data may not be what we were expecting. In America, for example, they found spores already in the air before the beet even germinated. So and if we find that, well, perhaps we don't need to be trapping them if they're everywhere all the time. It's then more about using the model and refining the model to, to pick up when a British isolate will develop on the leaf. I learned really it's it's about what they call free water on the leaf so it's not about high humidity it's about wet leaves really right, so okay. you need several I think it was eight hours of, of wetness on the leaf for the, the spores to germinate and get inside the plant so which is why we didn't see a lot of it this year exactly very very until late on and mm. obviously it's not doing a lot of damage now but the fact we're seeing it every year clearly means there's a British source or it's being blown across either the Channel or the Atlantic. So we need to just be aware of that. And hopefully some of the more advanced sequencing will sort of work out where it's come from. So whilst you're there, um, obviously Sucospora being the main reason for going, what else be able to observe? I'm at the nematology group, which obviously is a nematologist. That was really good to meet, meet some more of my, uh, like my kind. <laughs> yes. So, um, and it's really interesting, the group, the work that they're doing at NDSU in nematology because it's sort of an untapped area that they haven't been looking at recently and they've found lots of new species in the in that part of the world but um and i learned some new methods that i hope to bring back to the lab which might well make testing especially for free living nematodes a lot easier and something we can run in-house so that would be good i looked at some herbicide trials and the the problems of relying on roundup year in year out and the, the consequence of that is some pretty horrific glyphosate resistant weeds. So. And I have seen some of your photos on um, fields have got the weed problem. So, you know, where we always think yeah, America does, does things you know, big, then yeah. certainly when it comes to the weed problems they've got at the moment, they are massive. It looks that way, us. yeah. So um, good lesson for us to learn about ALS and Conviso and don't rely on that one active alone. Make sure you're being responsible, mixing 
at least in another active if you can, but obviously speak to your agronomist about that. And the problem there is it's not ALS and can be so on sugar beet, it's because they're using a, a Roundup treatment for virtually every crop in the rotation, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. Um, they've already got resistant weeds to ALS technology, so Conviso won't be finding its way to the States, I don't think. Well, that's the impression I got. And then the majority of crops in the rotation are Roundup resistant. So sugar beet, canola, corn, they've all got the Roundup ready genes in them. I think wheat might as well. So you think you keep relying on that, selecting so heavily for resistant weeds. And was there anything in particular, any particular weeds there that stood out for you? Uh, the main one is this this water hemp. It's like a massive fat hen, really. That was probably as tall as I am in some places, So, and it's really thick. Admittedly, we're on a site where it was really bad, and it's being used for trials because of that. Definitely some lessons to be learned from that reliance on one chemistry type. And it, it may not be the fact that it was that particular weed. It is the overuse of yeah. Um, yeah. the technology, isn't it? Weeds aside, what else do you see in the way of um, sugar beet reduction? Um, so I did visit some commercial farms, uh, mainly to see trials going on on them. Uh, in Idaho, for example, I got to see there, they've got a nursery there for a virus that's worse than virus yellows. Beet curly top virus, it's basically will kill the plants outright. And I was taken to see these beet and the commercial crop looked fine, really well. Uh, and next door to that where they've inoculated with, a, with the plant hoppers carrying the virus, not a lot left. So, uh, and these are treated with neonic still, so it's uh, quite damaging. You hear plant hoppers, I'm assuming these are something like an aphid? Uh, yeah, bigger than an aphid. Yeah, probably two or three times the size. They're quite large and they, they literally hop from plant to plant. So I got to see the insectary that amalgamated sugar have and um, where they reared, they, they can do a lot of damage by transmitting this virus. So no need for a magnifying glass to see those? No, no, maybe a net to catch them. So. And I, I would hope that we've disinfected you well before you came back. Uh, definitely. My boots and uh, other shoes were... Can, uh, I, I put them in some bags because they've got some uh, resistance breaking strains of rhizomania. So, uh, if not, your dad would have certainly dipped you before you came <laughs> Quite. So, uh, and I don't wish to see those strains cropping up in the UK if I can help it. No, so. no the, the longer they stay... Away from yeah, our exactly. And I asked, and you also looked at seed production. Yes, I spent some time on the west coast in Oregon, and that was quite fascinating to see the two major companies out there that that rear all the U.S. seed. Obviously, with it being GM, it can't be reared here in Europe. They had to find somewhere in America that is like the Mediterranean, and that apparently is Oregon. And two very different approaches. So, west coast beet seed, I saw it one day, and. KWS beta seed the day after and obviously they both produce the same end they produce sugar beet seed but West Coast have to produce for three companies and KWS obviously are producing under the beta seed banner in the States and yeah they have to worry about their own production the equipment at West Coast probably from the 70s or 80s but does its job and KWS have this fancy 42 million dollar new facility so but at the end of the day they both produce primed pelleted beet seed so I suppose it means to an end. <laughs> Sorry. But, but knowing you, I suspect that you thoroughly enjoy see all the, the new kit being it's, used. Yes, yeah, like the, the, the state-of-the-art priming and pelleting facilities, um, the basically pharmaceutical grade, barrels and barrels of neonic waiting to go Shh, on the seats. say that word on here. So. <laughs> but as they told me, without even with using the neonic, if they didn't have that, the, the 
production of sugar beet in California and Idaho because of these plant hoppers is at all viable. And having now seen the damage for myself, even on plants treated with poncho beta, like, it, it's insane, really. It's, it's very damaging. Yeah. So it makes varicellos look very tame. Hopefully that stays on that side of the Atlantic. Yeah. Well, we're hoping that some of the things that you learn when you do these kind of trips will actually help us to find solutions to virus yellows of the ears yeah. and uh, maybe we'll even be a step ahead of curly tops if it ever come this direction. Well, perhaps, yes. So, and they have beat western yellowing virus in the States, which we would call beat mild, so, but I didn't get that far down in America really to see that. But. Well, I'm not surprised. You were only there for three weeks. <laughs> by the sound of it, they worked you quite hard whilst you were there. Yeah, so it was a different place pretty much every day, uh, apart from when I was in Fargo. But it was all worthwhile, so really interesting to see how, how the university produced their research there and the sugar companies. And, and while you were over in America, you actually did uh, go a little bit further and dipped your toe into Canada, didn't you? 26 hours in Canada, yes. So I got to visit uh, Winnipeg and we just invested quite a sum of money in some new growth facilities from Conviron who are based there. So we've already got two of their plant growth cabinets, the, the small fridge-like reaching ones. We've got four more of them coming in a first-of-its-kind-in-the-world walk-in room. It was great to go and see the team there. They were very accommodating. We went through all the plans. I got to see their factory. And, yeah, that was interesting. So worth when you're so close, it's, it, it made perfect sense to go pop up there. Good. And so if you were going to go back to the USA to look at Sugar Beet, where would you want to go next? I think back to Fargo. Uh, it's just... Your, your Sugar Beet Disneyland. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Just their facilities are second to none. They've got this $88 million glass house that they can use. For... Was that state funding? I think state. I don't think it was federal, but yeah, it's yeah, quite something. Yeah, it would be nice if we've got any ministers listening to this <laughs> one there. So how many? 88 million? 88 million, just, yeah. Just want to repeat that. <laughs> that is for all crops grown in Dakota but, or North Dakota, but yeah, it's, it's quite... Quite a facility to see. Yeah. And um, obviously paying dividends for the amount of work that they're doing. Must be, yeah. Well, I'm sure with it being so cold over there at the moment, the glass house is still nice and warm. Yeah, I think I went at the best time of the year, though. So <laughs> uh, winter lasts a long time and then summer gets very hot. So I think, I think September was optimal. I know they were just starting to harvest there. So that might be something we'll be able to pick up with you another year. Um, yeah, maybe we will send you back in the depths of winter to see that. <laughs> harvest and you tell us a little bit more about that so thank you ever so much Alistair we will certainly look out for what's going to happen with your spornadoes that will come into the UK hopefully later on this year well we should have a demo one at Beat Tech in right. February yeah. so I'll make sure people can see that yeah lovely and we'll look forward to hearing how yeah. your projects progress perfect so, thanks thank Jess Maybe next time Alistair goes travelling, I'll try and squeeze into the suitcase and do a recording from abroad for you. As mentioned by Alistair at the end, we are planning our Beat Tech 23 conferences and details of those are available on the website under bbro.co.uk forward slash events. And as per usual, we have managed to get one basis point for December's Beatcast and the number you will need is cp forward slash one two three four seven three forward slash two 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 three forward slash k just leaves me to wish you a very merry christmas and i look forward to catching up with you in the new year thank you for listening